Thanks. Yeah, I'll take the clicker. Thanks. Just another note about the um, these Isaiah books is at the end of the series, we're, we're going to spend like, like 17 weeks, I think, in Isaiah, so we're going to be in there for a while. At the end of the series, uh, we're going to have a Sunday basically dedicated to um, looking back and be like, okay, we just spent 17 weeks in Isaiah. What have we learned? Like, how has that changed us? How do we want it to change us going forward in the future? Um, and we'll sp- basically a time of worshiping God and praising him and also um, hearing from, from you all about it. It's not something that just one person will be up front. So as those kind of things come up, even if it's aspirational, uh, this might be a good thing just to write down on here as well. One other thing too, you're like, wait, some of, this, some of the text is missing. It's not all chapters in Isaiah. Um, because we're not doing every single verse from 40 to 55 we get the, I think you guys are going to get the gist of it as we spend 18 weeks in it. That's, uh, was that, nine hours at least, probably more, 10 hours. Um, now, one of the things I, uh, um, I forgot, uh, just noticed as I was standing up here, is we don't have the communion cups, and we will be taking communion later. Can someone grab them and just have them in the back? And you can just leave them in the back. Yeah, thanks. Um, sorry, that was a bit of... Right, well... Dune, this is a great way to start anything. Can we just talk about this film for 30 minutes? Is, has, have, has anyone seen it, the new one? Yeah? All right. Uh, I will not get nerdy on it. That's my promise. Um, I really liked it. I only saw it once. Um, I really liked it. Uh, I really like the director's stuff anyway, but the, I, I, don't, I, didn't, I get, went into it knowing absolutely nothing. So I immediately bought the book and read it, devoured it. Even bought the second book. It was, oh, this is awesome. I have not read the other one. I tried to watch the older film, the David Lynch-directed one. It's too horrible. It's bad. Um, so I lasted about five minutes on that one, so I'm not completely nerdy. But one of the things going on in Dune, there is this desert planet called Dune, or Arrakis. Uh, it's basically barely hospitable. Like People are trying to salvage whatever moisture, whatever water is possible, because there's like no water really to be found. Um, it's harsh, and it's difficult. Uh, but there's a reason why this harsh and difficult environment is sought after. Thanks, Liz, and whoever else is helping there. Um, There's a reason why that harsh environment is actually sought after, because a harsh environment is a perfect place to train the best army. You don't get the best army who are kind of living like a life of luxury. You get an army who have lived, the people who have lived a hard life and know what it means to live a hard life. It's a perfect environment to to, to forge a strong army. And the same thing is true for us. Like strength is not forged when we're wrapped in cotton wool. Strength is forged when we have resistance. That's, that's the concept of a gym. That's a concept of working out. The same thing can be said for comfort. An environment, oh, thanks. An environment of chaos, an environment of disorder, an environment of disorientation, that is the perfect environment to grow in comfort. Now, that's not often what we think of. Often we think of if we want comfort, we seek the comfort, comfortable environment. But it's really easy to just kind of have a shallow kind of comfort when we're in environments that are easy for us. When life is difficult, uh, that's when we need strength. When everything's going your way and all is right in the world, we're living off like the shallow fumes of an easy life. It's easy to stay weak. You don't actually really need to dig very deep for comfort when everything is easy. But when things are difficult, that's when you need to dig deep for comfort. And so just like this desert planet in Dune, and this is just an excuse to bring up Dune, basically, just like this desert planet in Dune, the chaos of our lives become fertile ground for us to grow strong in comfort. 
one of the main reasons we're doing this section of Isaiah now is because, well, I, I don't really have to say too much about the chaos and disorder we've lived in, pandemic plus whatever else, right? Loads of things have gone on. And so what, and that, that is the perfect kind of situation for God's people to be a people of comfort, a people of peace, a people of hope in a situation where there isn't very much of that. So that's what I hope we can take away from uh, Isaiah, that instead of being people of despair when, when disaster strikes, because it will, and th- there will be more in, the, in our future. Um, instead of being people of despair, we're going to be people of hope. But the question for us really is, so what do we do when our comfort gets disrupted? Because it will, right? How are you doing in the great comfort disruption of this pandemic? Probably not any of us would be like, I'm doing amazing. I'm doing fantastic. How are you using this disruption as an opportunity to change? That's what the pandemic became, for spiritually speaking. Or are you trying with all your strength to get back to something that would just never really be again? We've all lived through, are living through a global disaster. It's bred chaos. It's bred fear. It's bred uncertainty into our lives. And that is the situation for the audience in Isaiah. We're going to get into this in a little bit. They're facing a disaster. Isaiah, for the first 39 chapters, is saying, these outside nations that have come and take you over, basically you'll become refugees of war. Like they're, You're not going to live here anymore. You're not going to have your stuff anymore. You're not even going to live in your own culture anymore. You'll be taken off some other place. And this is because you haven't followed through uh, with the way that God's called you to live. And God's been patient. Hundreds of years of waiting and waiting and pleading and begging and a prophet saying, if you don't do this, bad things are going to happen. So there's a context of disaster, and that is the perfect place to cultivate despair. The perfect place to cultivate despair is the context of disaster. It's also the perfect place to cultivate hope, cultivate comfort. So this series will be how we move from despair to hope in all of life. And this particular message will be how do we find comfort in disaster? Because the pandemic or whatever happens to you this week will not be the last disaster in your life. There will be more to come. I'm sorry to say it's not very encouraging and um, uplifting uh, and inspirational. Like, oh, Greg, he's an inspirational speaker. No, he's not. <laughs> so here we go. We're, we're going to learn uh, it, through these uh, 11 verses here. We're going to learn three things about Jesus, about God, and about how Jesus makes that true for us. How, how God is present, how he's reliable, and how he's strong. And how because of those things being true, that actually gives us the comfort that we need. All right, let's get into this. The first five verses in particular talk about how God is present how God's present. Uh, and God being present here brings, uh, brings forgiveness. Her hard service has been completed. Her sins have been paid for. She's received from the Lord her hand double her sins. Forgiveness allows comfort instead of despair. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Before we even talk about that, um, let's talk about this path. And you might have heard these words before, like, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain made low. These are the kind of things, you know, you crochet into a pillow and you leave it, you know, somewhere. It's a very kind of nice thing. Um, the roads are straight. Valleys are, if valley is up and the mountains are low, that means you don't have to worry about, like, elevation change. And the, the roads are straight. It's a clear-cut path. There are no obstacles. Every obstacle is kind of removed. And this path is not for us to come to God. It's not, it's not about us coming to God. What it says here is for a highway for our God. Who's on the highway? Our God's on the highway. On the highway. He's the one who's coming to us. That clear-cut path is for him to come to us. It's like a king entering his own city. And whoever's going before him is preparing the way. The way to comfort is a clear path and is not on us first. Thank God for that. 
It's not on us first. Not for us to be better so that we get comforted. It's on God coming to us first. It's all on God. And because of this clear path, we get these first amazing words two times. Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort. This is a command for God's people to get comfort from these realities. Not so much like a, a harsh command. It's like a, a persuasion. Like, you should feel comforted. And it's a plural, you all should feel comforted. Plural verb. You should feel comforted. Because uh, he's not barking at us. He's speaking tenderly to us. Often I think um, maybe we have like these uh, kind of evil giants in our head who are like barking like, you ought to feel comforted. And if you're not, and you're like not spiritual, or you don't love Jesus, or something like that. But that's just, that's just not how God speaks to us. It's a comfort, comfort, speaking tenderly to us. And verse 2 is that forgiveness. Hard service has been completed, sins are paid for. And how much? Double. Double all our sins. The clear path for God doesn't mean he's going to come in judgment against his people. The clear path for God here in Isaiah, Isaiah 40 is that uh, so that he can give us double the amount of forgiveness that we really need. And the hard service here that um, uh, comes up here in verse 2 just means like difficulty in life, that there's a difficulty for a reason. To grasp the bigger picture, without going through that difficulty, they would have missed out on something. And if you've ever gone through difficult suffering in your own life and seen how God has worked, you don't maybe not see it in the moment, maybe you see it like 5, 10, 15 years later, you know that's true. Like the only way God could have comforted, the only way you could have known God in that way was because of that difficulty that you've gone through. And now God's presence for his people means an abundance of forgiveness. God's not like, oh man, I said I got to forgive these people. God, all right, I guess I got to do it. It's not a begrudging forgiveness. It's, it's a lavish, like overwhelming forgiveness. Double what's needed, more than what we need, more than we fit into our pockets, more than we get deposit in any kind of account. God does not begrudgingly forgive his people. He loves to do that, actually. That's kind of, that's who he is. He loves to forgive his people. That's an amazing thing. Now we... Sometimes when we are come to God, especially maybe even that confession time that we had today, uh, we feel like, oh, God, God is kind of disappointed with me and has to forgive me because of what Jesus did or something like that. Now, we should feel bad about our sins, but we, should, we shouldn't feel bad about God. We shouldn't feel bad about how he views us. Like, he loves to forgive us. It's a way of him showing his love for us. And being forgiven means kind of getting a bit of a reset, yeah, a chance like a do-over or a mulligan. A fresh breath of good, clean air from God. We've been living off the fumes of the toxic tailpipes of ourselves. We get something better. Now look, all of us, we don't do things we ought to, and we do things we ought not to. Every single one of us. That's true of everybody. That's why we do confession together as a group. Chances are that you, sitting where you are, with us or, or, or joining us online, chances are that you have done some things that nobody else knows about. And you have shame about that. That's why you haven't told anybody, because it's a shameful thing. It's probably true of every single person here. Or maybe there is something that you should have done. You really know you should have done it, but you didn't. And you can kind of get away with it because it's not like it was obvious. And you've kept that to yourself. When you're the only one present to your sins, that is despair. If you're the only one present to your sins, there's no forgiveness there. There's anxiety. You just run it over and over, try and like forget about it, try and play it down, try and like give excuses for why you had to do that thing, all sorts of things. But when God is present to your sins, there's forgiveness. Double the amount than what we need. In whatever we're going through, whatever disasters we go through, out there in the world or in here in our hearts, 
he is, here's what God says about his presence. He's making a way, a clear-cut path, and in his presence there is forgiveness. And this is so much better than any other alternative out there than what we reach for. This is the thing that kind of saves us from perfectionism, which is something that we probably will like, jump into without thinking about it. Oh, I've got to be like this, and if not, then there's a problem with me. Uh, and what we really like is like short-term solutions. Uh, a night in will do me good, or a night out will do me good, or just wait till this politician is out, then things are going to get better. Wait till this guy is in, then things are going to get better. Just a few drinks, just a few pills, whatever the thing is. We like these really short-term solutions, but in the end, nothing really changes. Like getting your guy in the office, whoever it is. Like doesn't, I mean, hopefully things would change, and things, some things might change, but really the big things in life, especially the big needs that you have, that's not going to change. It's going to be there. You just kick the problem farther down the road, and nothing really gets dealt with. And we wonder why people are so anxious and depressed in an age when everything is awesome. Every, nothing's been more awesome in this world than like what we have right now, and yet we're all kind of not happy for other reasons. Those other things that make this world awesome are just not enough to do it in ourselves because we have these rough spots in our path. We have obstacles. We have valleys we can't go through. We have mountains that we can't climb ourselves. We feel hemmed in. And this is why God takes it on himself to make a path and come to us. He's present to us all the time. Are we present to him? So in his presence, there's forgiveness. And there are layers upon layers of comfort found in God's forgiveness. It's not like he has a limit of forgiving us. He forgives us. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So he's present. He's also uh, reliable. When facing a disaster, we want to rely on something because everything else is kind of falling apart around us or it's all kind of chaotic. We want something we can trust, and that's what we come to next. God is not only present, he's reliable. And actually what Isaiah says here is not, um, he makes it more specific. It's not just God who's reliable, it's his word that's reliable. God's word is reliable. And we can have comfort in trusting his words to us. What we first see is what is not reliable. So if we're looking at more of um, verses 6 through 8 in this section here. Um, so a voice says, cry out. And I said, uh, what shall I cry? So Isaiah is saying, what shall I say? And here's the, like, the answer here. All people are like grass. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. And if you didn't get it again, the grass withers, the flowers fall. So basically, here's the things that are not reliable here. That's a general example like grass. Grass comes, it goes, you know. It's not something you maybe can always depend on year in, year out. It's not evergreen. But then that becomes a metaphor for us. That's, that's, that's like us. We can't be dependent upon at all times. There's a withering grass, there's falling flowers, and then there's us. And the only thing the Lord has to do is breathe a little breath, and it all fades away. It all withers. It all falls apart. This word breath is the same word for spirit. God's spirit has just barely come in contact with these things, these unreliable things. And they're shown for what they are. They're not reliable. They disintegrate altogether. So what Isaiah is doing here is using some real world examples of like grass and flowers to illustrate a larger spiritual truth of how we are in our souls, what we're really like. Not just us physically, because we're all kind of slowly break apart as we get older, but also morally. Just as our physical body will decay and eventually die, we are decaying morally as well, just by ourselves. All of us are corrupted, and our body knows it. Our body knows it, but our brains, we try and explain it away. Like, ah, maybe not. Maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was. But in the end, our body does keep the score, and in the end, we die. Our bodies will not cease to work. So a life built on ourselves is not really a reliable way to live. 
We can't trust ourselves as much as we'd like to, as much as we kind of fake ourselves as to being. So what is God telling us about himself then? So what is reliable? Well, verse 8 says, everything might be falling apart, even if like the smallest thing comes in contact with, with God's spirit, but the word of our God endures forever. It's reliable forever. Forever, forever is a real long time. How long is forever? That's like a question Colin would ask me right before going to bed so that we'll talk and we won't have to go to bed. How long is forever? Oh, no. And they're like, is he really wanting to know a theological truth or is he? No, he just wants to stay awake. Um, but of course, the pastor in me is like, yeah, let's talk about eternity, son. And he's like, yes. Now, in all times and all places and every single one of your circumstances, whatever it is you're going through, even if the thing you're like, ah, oh, not there. Yes, there. Ah, oh, but what if that happens? Yes, there. Anything, any single thing that you go through, you can rely on God's word. You can rely on it. You can't rely on yourselves, but you can rely on God's word. He has made himself known. And God who created this world has the power to have his words endure. If you're a Christian, you believe that God created this world, had the power to do it. And that surely is a much bigger thing than keeping some words of his alive. Like, I mean, Islam and, and secular kind of general, in, despite the actual data and evidence, um, people who, um, Islam and the secular world would both say, oh, because uh, the Bible has been transmitted through all these kind of different ways, it's kind of been corrupted over time. But there's actually like no physical proof of that really being true. And also, if we believe that God is who he says he is, surely he can have like some of his words stick around in the way that he wants them to. If he can't do that, that's not a God worth worshiping. Like, just we should all go home and sleep in or do whatever else people do on Sunday mornings. I don't even know what people actually do on Sunday mornings anymore. Because uh, <laughs> I know they, I don't know, have a lion or something. But we should not worship a God who cannot keep his word reliable. That is not a God worth worshiping. Because what else is he not reliable in? I want him to be reliable. And he, if he's not... Let's go do something else. He's the only God that is worth worshiping. Now, what do we view as reliable in the face of disaster? Often, our first stop is exactly the two things that aren't reliable, the world and people. Those are the two things we go to first. Following the path of ourselves leads to uncertainty and anxiety and despair. That's what happens. But we want that path because it means at least we get to stay in control. You know, at least... I'll get all the horrible things, but you know, at least I get to be like, in charge of my life. And I get it. I want to be independent too. But you cannot be completely independent and get the comfort that you need. You can't. It's impossible. Those two things will never work. There will always be despair and anxiety in the life that strives to be independent by yourself. We can't have it both ways. We can't be on our own path and get God's comfort that we need. And in fact, one of one of the graces of feeling discomfort is realizing or even maybe having the, uh, the ability to ask the question of, am I on my own path? In what ways can I actually get more on God's path? So here's how to get comfort, as according to Isaiah 40, to rely on God's words to you. These are not generic words written to anybody and like generic people. These are words written to you so that you would know these words. This means you have to know them, and to know them means you need to actually read them, like often, more than just on Sundays. So reading his words allows you to know them, which means you can rely on them. You can't rely on something you don't know, and you can't know something that you don't hear. And I know it's not always easy, right? 
There's little children, there's busy careers, he's getting distracted. I mean, what you guys um, in the spiritual life survey we took, uh, the top reasons that you all reported of why you don't read the Bible more or pray more often is those three things. Uh, uh, little children, busy careers, getting distracted. That's everybody, right? That's all of us. That's probably not going to change. In fact, the older you get, the more distractions you will get. And I get that it's difficult, but it is worth that work to, uh, to be able to read God's word so that it's something to rely on when we go through those difficult things. Because if we don't find time to read it, we won't be able to rely on it. And how tragic is it to have this on our shelf and to not actually really know it? I mean, all God's words of comfort are here. How tragic would it be for it to just kind of sit there, take it out from time to time, or maybe use an app or whatever, and you never use the app, and it gets like, you know, um, silently offloaded and deleted because you don't use it, you need to save space, all that kind of stuff. That's tragic because those are words of life that we really need. I remember when, um, when I was going through the trial, if you don't know the story of the trial and my dad, I'll tell it to you, um, but I don't have time to talk about it now. Um, it was this difficult situation where I had no power, me or Christina or any friends that we had, had no power to really do anything. Um, and in that federal trial, it was like a week-long thing. I'm in the courtroom. I had these two like little cards of verses I just wrote, um, some of them which, which came from Isaiah. And I just had to like read them over and over and over again during the trial when the courtroom was going on because I had nothing else to rely on. Like only God brought us through. Only God made it possible for us to come through. And if it wasn't for relying on his words, I would have relied on all sorts of things, like my lawyers, which were sometimes great, um, the judge who was always bored, the jury who I don't know, like they don't know me either, um, you're accused of something, the FBI agent who for some reason had stuff out against me. Um, and now you're like, if you don't know this story, you're like, what in the world happened? <laughs> so, but I would love to tell you, I just can't tell you now because we don't have all the time. But the reason why we put in the work is because by ourselves, we are so prone to relying on ourselves or other people that we might see a little bit stronger than us, just slightly like small steps stronger than us. And when we read the Bible, even when we get together today, it's a protest against our own perfectionism. It's a protest against our own self-sufficiency. We don't have it all. And what we get to do is give up the illusion that we do. That's a good thing because that means now we're living in reality instead of some kind of fantasy world. And when we surrender to God and his word, we find comfort spoken tenderly to us. Now, a disaster will cultivate uncertainty unless there is something actively working against it. It's not any kind of like, no one's ever drifted into a good like reading discipline or something like that. You just have to go, it's work. And one of the gifts of a disaster is giving up being full of yourself and being able to be filled with God, at least having that putting on another level. So we do that through reading his words to us so that we rely on him and not on us. Okay, so we have comfort in God being present. We have comfort in God being reliable. And lastly, these uh, last few verses from verse nine, we have comfort in God's strength. And this is all, um, it starts with these good news. You who bring good news to Zion. What is this good news about? Um, well, it's kind of like presenting a God. Here is your God. This is who, who God is. What is this God like? Well, he's like a very powerful king. And these two things come up in, in uh, verse 10. It says, see, his reward is with him and his recompense. What a great word, recompense. His recompense accompanies him. Another way of saying, God is just. This is justice. Our, the king that we serve it sets things right. Things that are wrong are set right. In this world, you can get rewarded for not doing the right thing, not with God. In this world, you can, uh, doing the right thing come, can come with a punishment. Not so with God. He's just. He's a just king. 
God being just is good news only for those who need justice. If you need justice, it's really good news to have a strong, powerful king who is just. For those whose hearts yearn to see more justice carried out in ways that they aren't yet, that's really good news too, because we have a king who's actually at work doing this thing. God's justice is not good news to those with hardened hearts. God's justice is not good news to those who only look after themselves. So God's strength, the first thing he does, he uses it for justice. The second thing he does, and this is in the next verse, in verse 11, what does God do with his massive, huge amount of power, like overwhelmingly mind-blowing power? He tends his flock like a shepherd, gathers lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart, and gently leads those that have young. That's often not the first thing we would think of a show of strength. That is exactly how God works. He cares for people. It's compassion. It's mercy. God-sized strength used for our good. We are the little helpless lambs that he gathers in his arms, and he carries us close to his heart. This use of strength is just like so countercultural. It can be maybe difficult to develop an imagination for it. What kind of leader would use their power for that? But that's, that's just the kind of leader we want. When we have leaders who don't act that way, we kind of get, um, rightfully so, we get angry. How do people with power use their power in this world? Of course, often for themselves, just like anyone here, just like myself, we try and use it for ourselves. See, God uses his strength for justice and for mercy, and it all just kind of seems too good to be true. God, like, does he really care about people like so much in this way? Now, I'm probably like you, that when difficulty comes, the first kind of thing is how can I rely on my own strength? In fact, the way that I often work is um, when difficulty comes, there's no amount of blood, sweat, and tears. I can't figure it out. Just like pour into it, work hard, think hard. And if that doesn't work, uh, work harder, think harder, and do the thing. That's generally how it works. But you know, that doesn't always work out very well. That's surprising, I know. Because I can never really work hard enough, especially when I'm in over my head. If there's something that's overwhelming, no amount of work is going to do it. When you're in, 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 in spots where it's difficult or even impossible for you to do any kind of thing about it, it's actually a grace because it stops me from working that normal kind of me-focused way and allows me to look at things like here in Isaiah 40. When you're overwhelmed, you can be the strongest person in the room, and it's just not going to be enough. And then if your identity is in being that strong person in the room, and on top of that it's not enough, well, you've got a few things to be, anxiety, to be anxious about now. And if we're going to find any kind of comfort in the face of disaster, we need a strength that's beyond ourselves. And when I say beyond ourselves, I mean more than just me individually, more than like us as a humanity, as a human race. We've already looked about how unreliable we are. We've already looked at how corrupt we are. We don't have the strength to bring justice and mercy. Just read any history book. Surely if we could, we would have by now. But no human civilization has ever done that. So when thinking about God, about how big he is, about his strength, about his power, what we often think is maybe like creating the world or uh, you know, the universe or stars or like this big kind of massive cosmic things. And those things are true, but these verses kind of bring it home. They bring it really in close to us. When we're in a disaster, what we need is someone to set things right for us. Not like to set the stars in place. Oh, cool, the stars are in place. I, that, how does that affect my situation here? The same kind of power there is going on in here. We need someone to hold us tight. And we get both of those with God. He sets things right and he holds us close to himself. Why would we go anywhere else? If this is true, why would we go anywhere else? And we do all the time. 
This is real comfort, not the illusory comfort that we kind of chase after all the time. Now, these things can sound, well, ought to, should sound really good, but we do have a bit of a problem. Uh, we have a few problems, actually. We need to have the Lord present for forgiveness. We, we read this. For comfort, we read that too. But when he's present, we wither away. That seems to be a bit of a difficult situation. And God is strong for justice and for mercy. So we like mercy when people, uh, when, when we're wrong, but we like justice when people wrong us. And what side of either of that, can we be on the good side of both of those things? Can we be on the good side of justice all the time? Surely, like, we've been unjust. Uh, it says, recompense accompanies him. I don't want God's recompense. You know, that's like, I don't know, I've never used that word before. I don't think in normal conversation. Well, maybe I will with Colin. <laughs> recompense will accompany me. Um, that's actually a really good idea. The, um, but it, it feels weighty because it is. It really is weighty. Recompense accompanies God and he's present. Surely we deserve some of that recompense. How can we have his presence without us being completely disintegrated? When God is present, there's forgiveness, there's comfort, there's compassion, there's justice, there's life and all its glory, but there is also death. There's withering, there's falling away. How can God's presence really be the good news mentioned in this passage? It says it's good news. How can it really be good news? Well, the good news here in Isaiah 40 leads on to even better news. And here's how it all ties together. And it's a Sunday school answer, Jesus. Uh, who is, what's the answer to this? Jesus. No, it's, it's a lamb. You know, uh, without Jesus, these verses completely fall apart and they're actually not good news. They're not actually true without Jesus. They can't be true. But with him, they hold together and they are all gloriously true for us. The way that Jesus was introduced in the gospels was by using these verses here in Isaiah 40. John the Baptist, who went in front of Jesus, John the Baptist was like Jesus' hype man. Like, hey guys, get ready. This guy's coming. I'm not the real deal. This other guy's the real deal. And then Jesus' entrance music as he enters like the theater of, of, uh, on, there on, on the, um, in, in the river while people are getting baptized. The entrance music blasting out is Psalm 43, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is what Jesus is like, you know, walking out to with the gloves. He's got the robe, you know. No, this is what uh, John the Baptist is all about. John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Lord. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, oh, you guys got to work and come to us. Jesus made clear the path and came to us. Jesus is called the word, the full embodiment of what God wants to say because he is God himself. God can care about justice and give heaps of forgiveness because, only because, of what Jesus did on the cross. That is the only way that both of those things can be true. Jesus took all the recompense we deserved upon himself. He took it away from us. And in its place, he gives forgiveness, more than we could ever use up. And we'll try, more than we could ever use up. So now in the presence of this overwhelmingly strong God, we're not gonna fade away, we're not gonna wither, we're not gonna disintegrate. We get something more, we become more of ourselves, we become more human. We stand, not because of what we do because we're great, but because of what he's already done for us. Through Jesus, the Bible says we become a new creation. We've been made new. And this now allows us to be with him, present with him in ways that we couldn't before. And as we read his words to us, we understand more of it. We rely on more of it instead of ourselves. And what we get to do is give up this illusion of control. 
What a burden that is to keep that up, the energy to keep it, that illusion of control, the anxiety cost to you, to all of us. But now what we get to do is rely on God's strength instead, beyond ourselves. See, the kind of strength that works for justice, that works for mercy, uh, is the kind that can hold us close when we need it. There is nothing in this world that will even come close to the comfort that God brings. Nothing else is present in our wilderness with us. Nothing else is reliable. Nothing else is strong enough. So when our disasters come, and they're going to come, know that we will always find comfort in the Lord. Always. We will never not find comfort in the Lord. It will always be there. And for those who follow Jesus, disasters, uh, as difficult as they are, and have its own kind of fallout and own sufferings in themselves, but they also at the same time become opportunities to find comfort in Jesus in new and in better ways. And what that forms us to be is a people of peace, when ordinarily we'd be a people of anxiety or a people of despair. We get to be the least anxious people in the room because of what God's done. So we rely on God to be present. We rely on him to be reliable through his word. We rely on him to be strong in all of life. And that is the only way we can find comfort in disasters that are beyond us. Now, eating and drinking are some of the most basic elements of being able to live. And there is a reason why Jesus used eating and drinking as a way to worship him. It's the reason why he instituted such normal and necessary things to worship him. When we eat and drink, we're saying, basically, as much as I need food to live, as much as I need water to live, I need Jesus to live. Without him, I'm, I'm like, I might, my, my body might be physically living, but I'm kind of like the walking dead. And as we eat and drink, it's also that protest against our self-sufficiency. You might get a paycheck so you have food. That's great. But really, how did you get that thing to begin with? How are you able to continue to begin with? It's really it's all because of what Jesus has done. So what we'll do in a moment is we're going to protest together as we find our comfort in God. Now, if you don't find your comfort in Jesus yet, uh, please don't take this with us. Only do it if you actually believe it. We don't want to make religious people 